Welcome in to another Baseball America Top 10 Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, here to break down the Tampa Bay Rays system. And to do that, I'm joined by J.J. Cooper. We're going to talk about why Shane Boz is still number one despite his latest setback, what to make of Kyle Manzardo's breakthrough 2022 season, and what makes Mason Hour such an intriguing prospect who's on the cusp of the top 100. J.J., first of all, thank you so much for joining me. I'm excited to talk to you about the race system as always. I, I'm too. I'm glad to be getting here, getting ready to talk. One of the better farm systems year in, year out that we get to talk about. There's, You have to really go back a ways. I've been at BA a long, long time. And back in the Devil Rays days, it, there was a time when it was like, man, this is an aimless organization that doesn't really know what they're doing. That's a long, long time ago now. I mean, it's been really... There's been some ups and downs, but it's really hard to remember a whole lot of years where you didn't look at a raised farm system and say, hey, there's some pretty interesting guys here. That's definitely true again this year. Yeah, and that actually leads me into my first question is, look, we know this is an organization that's not going to make any big splashy free agent signings. It's not an organization that's really even going to let guys get to free agency. As soon as they hit arbitration, they send a lot of them out in trades. Um, this is an organization that just does not have a lot of money to spend on players. And because of that, having renewable talent in the farm system is so, so, so critical. They did make the postseason last year, but it was also a down year by the race standards, 86 wins, uh, quick sweep in the wild card series. Is there enough talent in the farm system right now to keep it going, this renewable source of talent? Because the Rays, every organization needs it to a degree, but the Rays especially need it. I would say yes to that. And I would say all, the other part of that is, is the key second component of that is, is the Rays are kind of the ultimate arbitrage uh, organization where they're looking at the value of players, the perceived value of players as compared to their believed value of players. And they, they're, I hate to torture a stock trading analogy here, but when you talk about high-speed trading, high-speed trading, you don't have to win every trade by, you know, $10. You can win a trade by a penny, but if you do it enough times, it leads to a, a lot of profit. The Rays don't have to win every trade, but if they win most of their trades where, to give an example from last year, if you trade Austin Meadows, and in return, you get Isaac Paredes, and you look at it and say, we believe that Meadows is worth X, and he's getting paid Y, and we believe Paredes is worth X, but he's only getting paid Y. You do enough of those trades, it keeps it going. The crazy part, for all I talked about how good the Rays farm system is over the years, the Rays end up, you look at, they're not a particularly homegrown team a lot of the time. It's that A lot they, of trades. A lot, a lot of guys who are... Up, Prospects yeah. who are well known, but maybe their values down, and they go get them a Tyler Glass now in Austin Meadows. Even to a degree, a, a Manny Margot, big name prospect, comes up. Padres disappoints. They acquire him, and they find a useful role for him. There's no question. This is a team that's built more on trades than actual homegrown talent. Uh, and some of that is they weren't very good at drafting in the 2010s. But I will say it does seem like it's gotten better recently in, in you know past maybe five six years. You go back to you know the Brandon Lau and uh, Nathaniel Lau drafts uh, Nathaniel Lowe, excuse me. It's very easy to do that. Yeah. Lau and Brandon Lowe. Lau, Nathaniel Lowe, yeah. right? Like 16, Lowe. 17, 18, it started to turn. But this was actually not a great drafting organization. Now they've they've got that under wraps and you know some some good trade wins. Although you and I still have a bet that uh, I bet the Potters yeah. would get the better of the Blake Snell deal and. Uh, two years but, in, I'm winning that bet. But no, the correct what the bet was is that in one of those three years, and so I still have one year to win this bet, is if Luis Patino is better in 2023 than Blake Snell. And I, you know, what will so, so we'll see. Uh, but you are winning that it's bet not, right it's now. It's not I trending in, uh, in your favorite direction. I actually have something up about uh, Patino you, you today. You have something up about Patino today. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, and, and that, yeah, that kind of leads. And that does kind of lead a little bit to, you know, discussion you talk about, you know, value add, but at a certain point you need 
a level of talent, even if maybe you are overpaying for it a little bit. And that's where you go back and say, oh, the Rays made this trade to trade Blake Snell's peak value coming off the World Series. And to be fair, he has not been great with the Padres, but he's still been better than what they got in return. And in that sense, they probably would have been better off keeping him. And that's where there's the limitations of, you know, looking things strictly from a value perspective. At a certain point, you need a level of ability. And that's where we've talked about this. The Rays at times, some of it's just by the nature of their payroll and their payroll constraints. They let go of guys that, yeah, maybe from a value per war perspective, they won the deal, but they still needed that talent to help them get over the top. And they haven't had it. They've come up short in the postseason pretty consistently. And when you look at them compared to a lot of playoff teams, it's because there is a pretty big talent gap. Uh, the thing I would say about that, though, is, is, is that, like, I look at last year, and last year their offense really was a problem to me. I look at their pitching staff, and I would say, they had the talent, like now they also had some injuries, but I, I'm kind of amazed how much talent they had because what they are really good at is finding talent. What they have struggled, like I think that really right now there is, there's kind of a duality here. When it comes to the pitching, what the Rays have done is pretty impeccable, I would say in recent years. Developing a Shane McClanahan into who looks like a front of the rotation starter. Getting Tyler Glasnow at a point where the Pirates are like, pa, you see if you can fix them. And they're like, can we have an hour? Okay. He's <laughs> good. You know, guys like that. Like, they've done that really well. What they have struggled with is, okay, you also have to have, like, the, the offense just fell apart last year, really. And Well, it's not just last that, year. They, their offenses have, had, have actually been pretty mediocre to below average for a while now so while they won like the randy rosarena trade by all appearances they've actually messed up a lot of their their, their they've i shouldn't say oh. messed up it's they there's limits to to it how much you can platoon at a certain point you just need more talent and that's where their payroll does seem to get in their way because there is you, you, the guardians versus ray series was the extreme example of this run prevention is cheaper than run production. And so what you had is you had two teams who were among the lowest payroll teams in the playoffs, and you had a whole lot of players who are good defensively. They have some aspect that they do good offensively, but they aren't well-rounded offensive players. And, like, you look at the Rays, like, if you said to me, like, what a Rays-type outfielder is, I write this now when I'm writing the handbook. The Rays have players every year when we get to Mason Hour. Mason Hour is a center fielder in almost every organization. I don't know if he's a center fielder with the Rays because the Rays look at center field as if you're not a 70 defensively, you know, like, no, you're a corner. And so what they do, when you talk about Emmanuel Margot, when you talk about Arandia Rosarena, we could go down the list. The Rays really do put three center fielders out there. Um, I wouldn't call know, a Rosarena a center fielder. Margot, yeah. yes, a Rosarena, no. <laughs> Border, look, there are teams who would play him in center field. There are teams who would consider it. And the, but, but especially, they've had – it's not just them. It's like they've had over the years, they will sacrifice offense – platooning as part of it but also they put brett phillips out there and it's like yeah we know we're not gonna get a whole lot of offense out of this but man is he good defensively they went out and traded and spent to get jose siri why because they thought jose siri was the best center fielder in the game defensively he'll run into a homer every now and then and you're just gonna have to sit with and live with the 220 the 210 the two the 200 average that comes with it They've done yeah. that consistently. They had Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro was good defensively, athletic, all that. They knew that they were not going to get – like these are – That's a different case because he's a much better hitter than these other guys. He just didn't hit for the Rays. He's been much better in other places. But but, but I actually want to move into the, yeah. the prospects real quick, the top ten. Mm -hmm. You talk about this. You know They've done a really good job developing pitching, and that actually kind of is part of the conversation I want to have here. Shane Boss checked in as the Rays' number one prospect, and he is a pitcher who has shown tremendous stuff when he's been on the mound, but his health is a real concern right now. 
Uh, he had a surgery to remove loose bodies in his elbow to start last year, only made six appearances, uh, suffered an elbow sprain mid-year, and then at the end of the year was announced uh, was going to need Tommy John surgery. He's going to be out all of 2023. So we're looking at a pitcher who will have barely pitched in 2022. He's going to miss all of 2023. He's still prospect eligible after, you know, reaching the majors in 2021. What ultimately led you to rank him number one over some like Curtis Mead, who he's healthy, he can hit, he's in AAA. Was the fact that the Rays tend to do a better job developing pitching than hitting, and ultimately you think Boz's outcome will be better part of that reason? Part of it, but I would also say like a couple of things. One, and this was an agony, because I, I think it's funny, we had these conversations. I was talking with you about the Rays list, and my initial iteration didn't have Boz one. And then the more I thought about it, the more we talked with the staff about it, it's like, okay, so there's three candidates there. There's me, there's Taj Bradley, there's Shane Boz. I do look at this with Shane Boz. I will say, this is one injury that they tried to avoid surgery for. So like when you have loose bodies in your elbow, this is something I remember being taught this by someone really smart in baseball years ago. It's like when you hear loose bodies, Think Tommy John down the road, because what that means is there's already something going on there. And often there are chances. I don't not saying it's a hundred percent. If that happens, you're going to have Tommy John, but it is often a precursor to the Tommy John. So, okay, we have that. He is going to miss two years. If I was going to give an example of a guy who's kind of the, the perfect example of what you hope this will be, if you're a Rays fan, if you're Shane Boz, or if you just root for humans to do good things, it would be a Dylan Cease type situation, right? Where he missed a significant amount of time coming back from an elbow injury. But once he returned, everything's okay. And Dylan Cease has turned into the kind of guy that you want in the front rotation. With Boz, like Boz has made massive strides as a pitcher over the last four or five years. And if he's healthy, he has everything you want most everything you want in a potential front of the rotation type of guy. Now you do have to ding him for the fact that that's, you're hoping that's 24, but the guys who are behind him, like if you compare him to Curtis Mead, Curtis Mead is a really good hitter also has an elbow issue of his own has already said he's not going to play in the world baseball classic because as he comes back from that elbow injury, he wants to kind of, let the Rays see who he is because he wants also a starting job, hopefully, and things like that. But but Curtis Mead doesn't have a clear defensive home yet. There are still concerns with that. So that's kind of a, a concern with him. You, you live with that with the bat, but is he a second baseman? Is he a third baseman with a really less than ideal arm and throwing motion? Is he a first yeah. baseman? <laughs> I, he's a hitter. I guess that's the best answer I can give, but Taj Bradley, Taj Bradley has had a very good track record, but like of, of success in the minors, it's a really good pitcher. But if you said to me, compare Taj Bradley to Shane Boz, most everything with Shane Boz is just a little bit better. Now, admittedly, you could make the counter argument and say, yeah, but Taj Bradley's standing on a mound come March and Shane Boz is going to have his arm in a sling. And all that's true. But we are trying to rank, you know, for like the totality of careers. And with that being the case, Boz just has done it at a higher level and has the chance to be a little bit better when both of these are very promising pitching prospects. Yeah, it's one of the interesting things we talk about at BA a lot internally as a staff is ultimately we want to rank the talent. And there's always considerations about, okay, What's the health track record? You know, how realistic is it that they'll be able to reach that ceiling? But you look at Shane Boz, and as you've talked about, at his peak, he's ranked as high as number two on the BA Top 100. And it must be noted that when he comes back, assuming a fairly straightforward recovery timeline, opening day 2024, he'll still be 24 years old. It's not like he's going to be 27, 28, where, you know, the clock is really ticking. So, Obviously, we'll see if he's able to stay healthy, but I, I do think if you were just to talk to officials around the game and 
Also, I think you can just see it with your own naked eye. Who has the most talent of this group? The answer is Shane Boz. And you kind of weigh that against everything else. And he still came out on top. You, you've hit on Meade. You've hit on Bradley. And, and then Carson Williams, their first rounder in 2021, Torrey Pines High School, great high school. Um, my alma mater, in case anyone doesn't get that joke. Um, but I actually want to dive into Kyle Manzardo, who kind of wrapped up the top half of a, of a very good farm system here. He was a second round pick out of Washington State. And we talked about this in our Top 100 podcast, just being out here on the West Coast, helping out draft coverage out here. His name kept coming up as, you know, hey, this is a guy who can really hit. You know, we think he has a chance to be an everyday first baseman. Um, he's really coming on here. In his first full season, he came out and finished second in the Myers and OPS, hit double A, hit for average, got on base, hit for power. What do the Rays have here? Because on the one hand, again, college guy, mostly lower levels. You don't want to go too crazy. But he also showed you everything you could ever want to see from a, a hitter in his first full professional season. Absolutely. Like what you have here is a guy who, if it all breaks, I'm underranking him. We're underranking him. If it all like if it all clicks, there is still some skepticism because there's almost like a <laughs> there's an understandable healthy skepticism when you say. You, you just laid out some of the good and now lay out some of the reasons for skepticism, not the bad. There's not much to say bad about Kyle Bizarro, especially as a hitter. But when you have a guy who is a bat only profile, like, and I do mean like he can play first base. I'm not trying to denigrate, but he's not going to move to the outfield. Guy doesn't run. He's not going to move anywhere else in the infield. He's a first baseman. He hasn't most of his success last year most not all but he did reach double a i don't want to make it sound like he didn't reach double a but a lot of his success last year was at high a uh which is considering his background a, a level that is not surprising that he was one of the better hitters at that level and he was one of the he was arguably the best hitter at that level and he was fun to watch it but so that's a reason for skepticism right or a caution i would say but that said if he goes out this year and does the same thing in Durham or goes to Montgomery and does it and then does it in Durham, he's going to be a top 20. He could be a top 20 prospect by the, by the time he graduates, because I kind of feel like that there's a ceiling even then of like the 24, you know, or so year old first baseman. There's all, you know, unless he's literally, you know, leading the the minors at average and on base or slugging or whatever. But like the, the guy we mentioned on the top hundred podcast, I think is useful to mention again is, is you look at the Vinny Pascantino profile, like Manzardo actually came from less of not nowhere, but less far away. Manzardo was part of the really weird. What do we do with this draft class year where he did, by the way, you know, he, he hit, like you said, he hit at Washington state. The asterisk was something that was outside of everyone's control. Part of his hitting at Washington State was, yeah, but we didn't have a full season because of COVID. He's hit everywhere he's gone in the minors so far. And I mean, really hit. The only things that you have concerns of are, one, he's done it some, you know, he had a home road split. Okay, but he kind of hit everywhere. But two, it's a bad only profile where he's not, doesn't he's not twitchy he's not you know a guy who's going to even probably provide a ton of value defensively he can play first he's gonna have to really hit but as you said he's done that everywhere he's gone and i don't neither you nor i i think has talked to scouts who say oh this is not going to work as he climbs the ladder there's just no way this is going to work this is gimmicky or anything like that this is a guy with some really good natural. He can hit. He can hit. Yeah, he has bat to ball <laughs> skills, and he hits the ball reasonably hard. Not and he controls the strike zone. Yep, and he controls exactly. the strikes, and that's what I think is is really intriguing to me about Commonsardo is he's hit first. He's not you know just a big power dude who once he starts facing upper level pitching is going to start getting blown away. The holes are going to start getting exposed. He controls the strike zone. He's got really good hand eye coordination good balance, good rhythm in the box. In terms of just a pure hitter, he's pretty impressive. And, and you'll notice it when you get your prospect handbooks to our listeners out there, 
his hit grade is higher than his power grade. There's not a lot of first basemen out there. You'll see that. It's pretty common to see first basemen. You know, if you're a 50 hit 60 power first baseman, we really like you. If you're even, you know, 60, 60, I mean, you're a great player. That's, that's Anthony Rizzo's career production is a 60, 60. Um, you don't see that many basemen who are hit over power. And sometimes if you do, it's like, oh man, is this going to profile? You don't have to worry about that with him. It's just, he's such a prolific hitter and he's going to hit more than enough homers because he swings a good pitches and barrels everything up. Um, there, there's a real chance. Again, you talk about lack of defense or base running value. If you can hit someone will find a spot for you and, and he can hit. The, the thing that stands out to me is a piece that I remember doing the research for this back when Julio Rodriguez was finishing up at double a. And the point was, is Julio Rodriguez, I think at the time was like a three thirty career minor league hitter. Three thirty one. Okay. <laughs> yep. And you say, Show me all the 330 or better, 325 or better hitters in the minors who've done that and reached double A. Because again, there's this if you did that for a year in the DSL and then that was it, that's a different <laughs> the story, complex right? leagues. Yeah, it's, it's not the same. <laughs> Kyle Manzardo reached double A last year. He's a career 330 hitter. And the thing that stands out about that from doing that Julio Rodriguez story is you need to probably just update that now. You look at that 325 and up in the minors. If that's what your minor league batting average is, there are not a lot of misses. There are some guys where you're like, that guy was good, not great. But there, I promise you this, you look at that list, you don't come away going, who's that? There is almost no on that list that you say, I don't remember that guy. The, the, the worst are, guys were like solid everyday big leaguers. And the best guys are the guys who are perennial all-stars. The best guys you know, were like MVP candidates, who, you know, <laughs> guys who sign big nine-figure deals. So, yeah, no, it's, it's a really good track. He's on again. Want to see it full season, double-A, triple-A. But he can really, really hit. And like you said, there's a lot of reason to be optimistic with him just in terms of what he can do in the batter's box. All right, JJ, we've kind of talked about some of the guys at the top half of this list. We're going to take a quick break. Then we want to dive into the rest of the top ten with you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Baseball America Team Top 10 Prospects podcast for the Tampa Bay Rays. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined by J.J. Cooper. All right, J.J., before the break, we talked about some of the guys at the top of this list, Shane Boz, Curtis Mead, Taj Bradley, Kyle Manzardo. But one feature of the Rays in recent years is they never just have a top-heavy farm system. They normally have a pretty good system. The depth is consistently solid whether it's you're looking at their number seven prospect, their number 15 prospect, their number 23 prospect, for the most part, they're better than their counterparts at the same number in other systems fairly consistently. And once again, there is some talent here in the back half of this top 10 and beyond. I want to talk about Mason Hour for a second. This was a guy I know for me, didn't know a lot about, didn't have a lot of history on. Again, the Rays aren't my system. I don't really see their teams in cross coverage, didn't know much about him from college. And I remember getting it pretty early in the year, like, hey, you know, watch this guy. And we you know we talked to a guy where to say, Hey, is there anyone else outside the big names that we should be paying attention to? His name came up a few times. And over the course of the year, he just proved it again and again and again. And by the end of it, as we were putting together our top 100 list, 
it wasn't a he should be on the top 100, but he's in the conversation. And I think if you mentioned this time last year that Mason Hour was one of the 100 best future major leaguers in the minors, people would have looked at you kind of crazy. Um, but he's really played his way into that conversation. What has he done to get to this point, and, and what's his outlook moving forward? Yeah, I think if we just said that last year, it would have been like, what? Because he was a fifth <laughs> rounder in 2021 out of San Jack. One of the best junior college programs in the country. San, you know, San Jack is that year in, year out. But, but that said, that's a long ways from there to the top 100, you know, from the fifth round. Um, but the thing that stood out about him, and I love this profile in some ways, right? This is a guy who was a two-way guy. He actually spent a year at Missouri State, if I remember right, if my memory is serving me right. But the year at Missouri State before he went to San Jack. But he was a guy who, depending on who you talk to, I remember going back, you know, it was like this guy could be a pitcher. He could be an outfielder. He likes playing in the outfield, right? A lot of, a lot of times I get it. It's a lot more fun to be out there every day and then be involved in it than to be a pitcher. But really good arm. But he's also a, a, an interesting athlete, right? All of that proved true this year, but probably a little better than what we thought when we were writing him up in the draft and, and things like that. The thing that does stand out to me is, is when you say, and this is a profile that has you know gotten them in a little bit trick. Josh Lowe had that. He's athletic. He can play center. He's got an arm. He's got some power. But the hit tool has always been the question with him, and it still is the question with him. Mason Hour kind of has the similar profile, but may have a tick better hit tool. Um, the thing that stands out, like we talk about, this guy is a guy who is a threat on the bases when he gets on base. His He's Mr. Triple, it, which is, to me, one of those things. He had 12 triples last year. That's more than the Yankees had <laughs> as a team. Like crazy, huh? You know, yes, like that was a great pull um, right there. You know, so there are not a lot of triples in the game right now. Mason Hour provides triples. Mason Hour provides doubles. He provides some home runs. He has a cannon of an arm in the outfield and we have access to synergy. It was fun dialing up. Let me just watch some Mason Hour throws and you see guys like Oh, that third base coach, like, well, I won't do that again, you know, kind of thing. And he has, he has a chance to be a center fielder as well. So you have this guy who is a pretty well-rounded, there's a lot of different things he does that can help a team. Now, as we talked about with, uh, with Manzardo, a lot of what our, our season was split, half of it was in low A, half of it was in high A. That's not a crazy assignment for a first year out of Juco fifth round pick in his first full season. But that said, you obviously, if you said, well, why sounds great. Why isn't he on the hundred already? That would be the answer. The answer is, is that the to-do list is let's see if he can hit higher level pitching. It's the short version. Exactly. That's the short version. But that said, there's not a whole lot of indication yet that that's going to be a massive problem. And he is another one of these guys. They have a lot of these guys. You said the Rays are, are this way. They have that. They have guys like Junior Caminero. They have guys who are not in the top 10 who could easily be higher than this a year from now because they have tools and they've had production. Because Their low-A Charleston team was the best team in the minors last year. Yeah. But as those guys go to high-A, as those guys go to double-A, if they keep doing the same things that they were doing at low A, they're going to move up rankings because they're proving it at much. I, I'm, I'm serving up the Kyle, like, I mean, you know, like the, like the perfect, because Kyle is the one on our staff who makes this point, And it's a good one to make, which is proving it at the upper levels means a lot more than proving it at the lower levels. Low A, doing it in low A is not the same as doing it in double A. These guys are going to get that chance in 2023. And if they do pull, prove that they can, they're going to be moving up list this year. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you look at this Rays farm system as a whole, and it's funny, I didn't really think about it until you were talking about Mason Hour and just his background. One thing I like about this system is it's diverse in terms of just where these guys come from and what kind of players they are, right? They've got 
you know, high school right-hander flamethrowers and Boz and Bradley. They've got guys who are just all bat, you know, Curtis Mead, Kyle Manzardo, Jonathan Aranda, certainly never going to win gold gloves, but they can just hit. You have guys like Carson Williams and Mason Hour who are two-way guys, super athletic, promising with the bat. You have guys like Mason Montgomery who certainly won't be throwing 100, but he can get whiffs and, and really knows how to pitch on the left side. So that, that is one thing I think we have to give the Rays credit for is they don't hone in on one type of profile, one type of player. They find players who have different strengths and fit them all together, which again is what makes their big league seem successful in a lot of ways. They're doing it in the farm system too. It's a, it's a really interesting group of just different players who can do different things. And that helps you as an organization. And they have this emphasis again, this is not, they're not unique on this, but like position player wise, they love to acquire middle infielders and then those guys can distribute throughout the the system as they come up the level. (laughs) I don't know, for instance, like when they drafted Greg Jones, who's really been a little bit of a disappointment for them, their first rounder from a few years ago. There's always been talk. Is this guy a shortstop? Is he a center fielder? I still don't know the answer to that. I don't think they know the answer to that. I don't know if Greg Jones knows the answer to that. But as as rough as he has been at the plate at times, he still has a path to the big leagues because if he just gets a little bit better offensively, he has multiple paths there because of his athleticism the defensive center potentially like that a guy like Vidal Bruhan who like we could say like if you said what the what the Rays need in 23 one of the things the Rays need in 23 is some of those guys who they were kind of counting on last year like losing Wander Franco for half the season is not going to help your 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 lineup admittedly but they need Wander Franco to be Wander Franco next year not just Good player. Like, that's a good young player. But they also need, not all of them, but between Josh Lowe, Vidal Bruhan, Taylor Walls, Jonathan Aranda, who came up a little bit last year, but will probably more this year, Curtis Mead. Between all those guys, they need someone to step in, claim a job, and say, this is mine and I'm going to produce. And they didn't get that last year. And it wasn't for the lack of opportunities because if anyone had claimed the job, like, I mean, obviously it also doesn't help. Brandon Lau was hurt. Mike Zanino was hurt. Their power essentially disappeared into the ether, which is kind of one of the things they relied on. But that also meant that if Vidal Pruhan had come up and been like, man, this guy's a great spark plug at the top of the lineup, while Lau was hurt, they could have just basically said, second base or second base and the outfield different spots are yours. He didn't claim it. Josh Lowe didn't claim that job. Jonathan Aranda didn't come up and say like, man, he's just hitting. He didn't get much of a chance, but he's just hitting so many line drives that we've got to figure out a way to get him in the lineup. They need someone to do that this year. And the farm system's still really good, but clearing that final step is kind of one of the biggies. They're still going to have, we, we're spoiled. I'm based in the Raleigh-Durham area. You know the Durham Bulls are going to be good every year. They're Every year they're good. But they need some of those guys to move on to the big league level and have that same success or similar success at the major league level. Yeah, certainly offensively, which, again, we just talked about how much they need bats. But it's actually a pitcher I want to ask you about, and I alluded to this earlier. Mason Montgomery, again, we talked about Rays with pitching. They're really, really, really good at developing it. Again, a guy who is certainly not on anyone's radar as, you know, potentially one of the best strikeout artists in the minor leagues, uh, goes out last year and, and is one, just had a fantastic year all the way around, moved into the top 10 of the system. What is Mason Montgomery? What's his outlook and, and what role does he project to play for the Rays? Because he's really interesting. Now we just talked about how, you know, when you get to the higher levels of the minors, that's when the really the rubber hits the road. And yeah. These players who get away with something in the low A, high A, they really get taught them, you know, like they get that lesson taught them as they double A really, that's the separator. Mason Montgomery, I don't want to make it sound like he only throws one pitch, but Mason Montgomery has outings where it's like, here's the fastball. Can you hit it? Nope. Okay. Until you prove to me you can hit it, you're just going to get a lot of fastballs. And he's done that. And when you say that, you would normally say, double a that's the level where you would say that's not going to work for him anymore and then you look at it and you're like nope really good 11 starts in double a no problems at all we only grade mason montgomery as having one above average pitch 
but it's a really good pitch. And, and it's and the he one has you a want. chance to develop some others, and they make the rest of his pitches play even better because you have to worry about it. And that's the thing, too, is if you're only going to have one pitch that just overwhelms guys and dominates them, you want it to be your fastball. And that's one of those things where, again, yes, certainly you want to add a good secondary at higher levels in order to give batters a different look. But again, if you know you say, oh, this guy has a great, great curveball, but it's a 40-grade fastball. Oh, this guy has a dominant changeup, but he throws 89. Especially the latter, that's the kicker. Like, okay, yeah, this guy is going to really, really struggle once he gets to double A and guys start laying off that changeup. But if you have a fastball that guys just can't hit, you say, here it is, hit it if you can and they can't. That's a really, really, really good sign. And that's partially why I'm so interested in him. And I, I, it's fun to see pitchers like that. You know, we talked about Brandon Fott's a guy like that. Bryce Miller's a guy like that, you know, with the, with the D-backs and the Mariners. And again, very different. Big right-handers throw a lot harder, but same principle. And, and there's something there that will play. And that kind of leads me, what is it? Again, you know, there's not many one-pitch starters out there, to say the least. Is he... What, what does he project to be? How do the Rays view him? How do opposing scouts view him? There still is some reliever risk because of all this, right? Uh, you know, I mean, that that's the concern, right? Is that there's still that skepticism. Is this going to work when he hits the majors? As you said, I would rather start with the building block of fastball that can success, have success within the zone rather than... He throws that change up. They just swing through it every time. Is it a strike? No, not really. But, you know, <laughs> it's still really good. Because, again, at some point, they they would be the ones who would run into trouble because you lay off that pitch. They don't have a plan B. Yeah, You can't lay off Mason Montgomery's fastball, right? So all he has to do in an organization that generally is pretty good about this is – continue to improve the others to be a starter because he throws strikes and he can dominate with the fastball. But the good news, bad news, like if you're skeptical about him, guys like that profile often end up as relievers because eventually AAA, or maybe it never happens till you reach the majors, but at some point you reach a level and it's like that second time through the lineup, they're like, show me something new. I can hit this. Even if it's, you know, got the life on the fastball, flat plane, all that. But that said, this is also a guy who he he hasn't been his his pro career is the blink of an eye right now. He was a 2021 sixth round pick who basically they like they did with a lot of their guys in 21. He barely played. He was really good, but it was low levels. Just get acclimated to pro ball. And then he was sent out last year and. Again, I don't think their intent was to have him spend half the year in double A. They didn't have a choice because if you're dominating the, you know, the high, if you're dominating a high, like he was at some point, you're like, this is not doing him any good. We can't tell him that he needs to improve his slider significantly and throw it more when it's like, yeah, it really was a problem for me last night when I gave up no runs in six innings, you know, and cruised. Struck out a lot. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and so, yeah, exactly. So there is still a to-do list for him, but at the same time, it's a to-do list coming from a really good place, which is this is a guy that so far has yet to reach a level where the hitters are going to teach him a lesson. He's teaching hitters a lesson. They haven't taught him a lesson yet. You know, you mentioned this 2021 draft class, Carson Williams, Kyle Manzardo, Mason Montgomery, Mason Hour. Um you know, it's 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 looking like a really really good group. I mean, there's certainly times a, a class comes out, you see the first rounder, and you're like, oh, this might have been a mistake. And then the fourth and fifth rounders are getting their teeth kicked in in high A. You're like, well, that's not great. And we've talked about the Rays for a while. That was their drafts, but they've really gotten better, and that's a credit to the organization. Um, they, they're doing a good job of bringing in renewable talent, which they need. And with that, JJ, just to kind of you know hit the depth a little more. Again, there's always good players in the race system beyond the 10 spots that make up our top 10. How many guys would you say were locks for this top 10 and how many other guys were kind of on the cusp? I would say that really there were 11 guys for 10 spots is the way I would put it. Like even when you get to number 12 on this list, 
I wasn't really considering for top 10. Basabe was, Aselvis Basabe was our number 11. And you could hear arguments for him being the top 10. The thing that, they, the one thing I will say though, is, is their depth is not what it was a year or two ago because of the natural way that baseball is supposed to work, right? They've had some graduations, but on top of that, because they've had the situation we're going to run into with the Guardians probably, the Pirates have run into this in some ways, which is depth Depth of role players is a, has a half-life of about an hour and a half because <laughs> I may have liked Ford Proctor at this time last year, right? And I did. like, And I still think that Ford Proctor, who did reach the majors last year, is a nice backup catcher who's different than most backup catchers and may be able to help you in different ways than other backup catchers. And I may, you know, there, there were guys like that, right? Uh, but those guys, a lot of them aren't in the organization anymore because you get, a, you have a full 40 and you need to make moves. And so at some point you end up trade, you know, we do, we, we want to trade those guys. You have to trade those guys because you just don't have the room and you're going to either that, or you're going to DFA them because you have to get the next wave of guys on. And so you put all that together. And so the thing that they have lost this year, they've won a lot of this because there wasn't a rule five draft two years ago. So they didn't, they didn't lose those guys and they took some chances and I had a couple of guys make it through the rule five draft this year. But I do think that there's their depth is just a little bit thinner than it was at this time a year or two ago because they've had guys hit that 40 man roster eligibility point. And so, uh, you know, they've had to trade some of those guys. They've had to, in some cases, DFA a guy or two who they would have liked to kept around. That's what baseball is supposed to do. It spreads that talent out. And that's good. 11 through 30 here is still a very good 11 through 30, but it would have be even been a little bit better if they had another couple of one of those guys. So with that, you talk about, again, there is a group here that's definitely role players, like you said, that are going to be on the Durham to Tampa shuttle. And as soon as, hey, this pitcher came up, we used him for three days. We have to DFA him because we now we need to bring up the next reliever, which we see the Rays especially do very often. Who are some sleepers in the system? Who's a guy that you think could jump from, you know, the teens or the 20s into the top 10 this time next year? Because, again, we see it every year in every system, but especially the Rays and especially talk about that Charleston team. A lot of really talented guys at low A. They go up and prove it age appropriate, higher double A, you know, there's a real chance they're going to really rock it up the rankings. So I'll give you two. One who is not even, I think he's going to graduate this year. It's notable that the Rays did protect Colby White. They added him to the 40 man roster after a year in which he never pitched. He was slated to make their bullpen be a part of their team in 2021, blew out his elbow, had Tommy John surgery, missed all of 22. And by the way, was going to be my number one Rule 5 prospect if he had been left unprotected because he's the perfect guy to take in a Rule 5 draft. That's Coming cool. off, he should be healthy enough to help, all that. But he's a guy who absolutely, I think, could help their bullpen if he comes back healthy in 23 and should not be on this list next year because he should have graduated, hopefully. Take that away. Two guys on that Charleston team, Willie Vasquez, was kind of our rocket up guy last year, had a really poor first half of the season in 22 and basically looked at Carson Williams. Carson Williams looked at him and you realize, oh, I'm no longer the best shortstop on this team. I'm going to play a lot of third, which was fine because that's probably his long-term position. Second half of the season, he got a lot better. Now there's still some, some swing decisions that need to get better, all that, but there's still a lot there to like. And the guy who came from a lot further away was Shane Sazaki just looked like kind of this undersized high school outfielder who could run. I remember writing him up year. out of Hawaii. Yeah, he was, a, he was a smaller dude without, you know, he could run, but it was hard to see much there beyond that. Yeah. And I'm still not, I don't want to make it sound like that he's battling with Mason Auer as like who's their center fielder of the future, but he did put himself absolutely on the radar last year. He got bigger, he got stronger, he didn't wear down. That's kind of, I think, one of the key things. You know, the longer season, if you're not physically strong enough, it doesn't matter what, if you start the year at one weight and you end up 15 pounds lighter than that at the end of the year, you're probably not the same player. Kept the weight, kept the strength, and showed out there like, Solid center fielder can run, 
bat to ball skills, enough pop to not be like, you know, a, a zero as far as power, enough there to where he put himself on the radar as being a potential major league complementary player. I'm not ready to go further than that yet, but like that's like that's that's far beyond where he was a year ago. So oh, yeah, I, that I remember together. writing about the draft. I remember, yeah. you know, getting early reports. I was like, look, I mean, he's just a smaller guy who can run when he when the bat hits the ball, nothing happens. And, you know, give him credit for putting in the work to get stronger and, and really start making some more impactful contact. So it'll be fun to see. I, I kind of have a soft spot in my heart for the Hawaii guys just because it's, you know, it's hard to get seen out there. Um, but it's really been been there's been some good baseball out there. You know, each last few years, there's been at least one draft guy, if not two or three that are really intriguing. So it's cool to see the more the more lines in the majors, the better. That's how I view it. So JJ, any final and thoughts? I, as we there's wrap one up? other, I did want to add one other guy, Evan Reifert didn't even make the 30. Sorry, but Evan Reifert didn't even make the 30, but you were in the yeah. fall league. <laughs> now, if you want to say, if you want to say the Rays award for came the furthest over the course of the year, if you watch Evan Reifert at the start of the year when he was at Double A Montgomery, it was he had outings where you're like turn your head because he just the strike zone. If the strike zone had been multiplied to ten times its size, it wouldn't have mattered. He was that wild. Went to the fall league. Was when he said the best reliever in the fall league, like lights <laughs> out. You gave Evan Reifert the ball. Game over. Nothing. Yeah. Game over. And so, and by the way, not doing it at 82 miles an hour either, like a big fastball, legit stuff. Like that's a guy who easily, like I could be looking back on this even two, three months from now and going, why didn't I put him in the 30? You know, like that's, he's just on that cusp of the 30 and I would expect him to move on to it this year. Yeah, no, he was definitely a guy in the fall that really opened some eyes and, um, you know, not many relief prospects, you know, jump out at you, but he was one of them. And I'll be curious to see if he's able to replicate it over a full season. All right, JJ, any final thoughts here as we wrap up about this farm system, this organization, where it's going, the the grand future of the race, if you will? I think I'm going to be interested to see is this is the team. I, I don't have an answer for this. I'm just asking the question right now because I don't have an answer yet, but this is a team that's been Mr. Platoon. And when I say platoon, not, oh, there's a lefty on the mound, so I'm going to pat a righty. I mean, like, this guy fits, swing fits this guy, so we're going to play him at second today. Today he fits at third. Today he fits in left, all that, right? I'm going to be interested to see if the new rules with shifting are going to affect the Rays. I'm going to be interested to see if the new rules that encourage base running affect the race because we went back to run prevention is cheaper than run production guys who can prevent runs often are also athletic and can run. So if it does encourage base running, the Rays have a lot of guys who could swipe a base here or there. We can almost go up and down the list and there's hard to find many guys other than even Francisco Mejia for a catcher runs pretty well. Like they have a lot of guys who can move. So I'm going to be interested to see how that affects it too. There's just like a lot. I don't know the answer to these things, but it's going to be interesting to see if they're a team that's more affected by the rules changes than say a team that's pretty much like, this is our lineup. Here you go. It'll be the same lineup tomorrow. And especially a team that has problems scoring runs. I mean, that's a way to generate some more offense, you know, whether it's just stealing second base or even just being a little more aggressive first to thirds. I mean, this is a team that has to take advantage of their speed because they don't have the thump in their bats, at least for the most part. There's a few guys that do, but one to nine, they don't, um, barring some some significant jumps forward from some of the guys you mentioned. But we'll see what happens. Again, the Rays, they have arms. Um, they're consistently competitive. They play clean baseball. They let guys develop. They don't rush them. They do a lot of things well. And now they're drafting well. That, that's what jumps out to me the most about the Rays is in an era when so many teams are rushing guys, the Rays do a good job of letting guys develop and bringing them up when they're ready and ready to really contribute. And I think that's a big part of their success. And then do that and play clean baseball. That's that's going to give you an edge, um, a small edge, but one nonetheless. And they keep finding guys like, okay, when they got Drew Rasmussen, Drew Rasmussen was thought to be a useful reliever. Well, he's now a really good starter. Yeah. Jeffrey yeah, Springs. No. Je- if you don't pay attention to the yeah. AL, <laughs> if you don't pay attention to the AL at all, if you're a National League fan, yeah. 
Go look at what Jeffrey Springs did last year and tell me that you could in any way fathom that that was. So I, I actually want to share this. Um, what the Rays did with Jeffrey Springs, let me throw my hands up and say they they clearly are just light years smarter than me, in which I knew that to begin with. But I mean, I can't tell you. I watched Jeffrey Springs when he was in the Rangers farm system with Down East, and at no point did I say this is a big leaguer. And no, none of the scouts in the stands looked around and said at any point this is a big leaguer. Then he gets the big leagues and with the Red Sox, and he's one of the worst pitchers you can watch. It was painful watching him pitch the Boston Red Sox. And then the Rays acquired him. I remember even saying at the time, like, well, this is a waste. Why, why would they do this? This guy's nothing. And everyone we talked to was like, yeah, this guy's nothing. And, of course, with the Rays, he's, like, a really, really good pitcher. Nine so. and five, 2.46 ERA, I mean, 3.04 FIP, 135 innings, 25 starts. Yeah, out. I, like I, everything. That, he was better than – he was better than – I mean, like, you talk about the Rangers – if you'd have done that for the Rangers, like that's like the thing the Rangers have been looking for for like five years is to have a guy. Yeah. Do that. No, I mean, I, I jokingly have a philosophy that if you're left-handed, you don't actually have to be good to get to the big leagues. It's a joke. Obviously I don't really mean that, but look, the bar for a left-handed pitcher to get to the big leagues is much, much, much lower than it is for pretty much anyone else. And I remember having the joke that, you know, if Jeffrey Springs and Thomas Pannone can be big leaguers, anyone can be big leaguer again, being facetious, but the fact that Jeffrey Springs not only is a big leaguer but a good one is honestly mind blowing. Really that to one. me <laughs> is is that to me is like Ray's sorcery number one. We talk about oh they fixed Tyler Glass now or Austin. Was, we knew those guys were good. No one thought Jeffrey Springs was good. No one. And what they've done with Jeffrey him is Springs may up. I'll give him. I'll give him yes, he like I mean, it is remarkable. Props to Jeffrey Springs. Props to the Rays. Anyone and everyone involved in that acquisition deserves many raises and promotions because. They saw something no one else in baseball did but, and just props, mad props. But by the way, and by the way, closer Jason Adam, who I wrote up when he was like part of the next wave for the Royals a decade ago. He's a great story. passed around from team to team to team to team. And Jason Adam was just lights out for them. They do this over and over. It is an impressive talent to be able to do this like they do. That is for darn sure. All right, JJ. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This has been another Baseball America Team Top 10 Prospects podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For JJ Cooper, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Have a good one, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.